Please leave your name, phone number, and the nature of your problem, and the host will get back to you as soon as possible. Thanks. Hi, uh, I'm out here on Route 262, just, uh, just, just past the farm and fleet. South side of the cul-de-sac, just, just where the cactuses get low, the ones with the, the pink flowers. Y you'd recognize it if you saw it. There's something, I don't know what to say. I, I just think you ought to get somebody out here. This, this don't look good. I, uh, I got a real bad feeling about this. Several years, I've been a patron of the Farm and Fleet. It's an all-purpose retailer, a cross between country store and survivalist big box. The Farm and Fleet sells toiletries, canned food, sweatpants, guns, ammo. It has a large chicken coop around the back where customers can pick out their own eggs. They can pick out their own chickens, too. The crown jewel of the Farm and Fleet is the green barn that sits at the top of the property. It's huge. You can see it from miles in any direction. On the outer north side of the barn, the words all are welcome are painted in big black letters. I assume animals are kept inside or maybe farming equipment. Or maybe it's like that creepy barn in the movie Twister, the one with all the harnesses and machetes hanging on the wall. The barn is not accessible the way the chicken coop is, but farm and fleet workers come and go from it all the time. They call it Big Green. If they're out of my favorite brand of tea or tube socks, they call it Eli the Stock Boy. Hey Eli, go check Big Green. We all know what it means. I've gotten close with one of the clerks at the farm and fleet, or at least as close as I like to get to people. Her name is Becky, mid-twenties, pretty, the way all women in their mid-twenties are all of a sudden pretty. I don't know very much about her, except that she is kind to me and everyone else at the store. She chews pink bubblegum and pumps extra cherry syrup into her fountain colas. She likes sugar, she says, because her taste buds are so dull. I don't know if I buy it, but I like Becky, and I think she should have bubblegum and cola if she wants it. So when Becky stopped showing up for work at the farm and fleet, I noticed. I want to offer a disclaimer to my listeners, a reminder even. I am not a private investigator. I am not a detective. I am not even a journalist. But it might make you feel better if I were one of these things. You might even come to think of me as one of these things as this story unfolds, and I'll let you. But the truth is that I am just one person who wants to help other people. I've always been like this, someone who helps. It can be strange existing in this world and knowing this about myself. Because when I go into a gas station or a store, like the farm and fleet, I am anonymous, just another customer. I've made a career out of my voice, so it can be jarring when I have to be a face, too. I used to be a face, and a body, and hair and legs but I chose to become just a voice. I'm not sure what Becky chose. I only know about her bubblegum, her cherry cola, the way she smiles at everyone and makes the farm and fleet a little better. And I know that we create these versions of ourselves that only exist inside our heads. 
We think we are just a voice, but then the world tells us we have a face, too. They don't even know about the voice, only the face. I asked my producer, Chaz, to talk to some people about this, how they see themselves, how others might see them, what it means when there's a gap between perception and what we think is the truth, because I want to understand duality, multifacedness, paradox. I want to understand if people disappear or if they just stop showing up. I want to understand what happened to Becky. So this right here is a pop filter. Don't be intimidated by an industry term, okay? We use it to smooth out your hard consonants, your P's, your K's, at all. Just talk normally. That's Chaz, my producer. Like this? This is me talking normal. Did I do it right? And that's Ranger Evan. Evan, the desert ranger. Yeah, let me just adjust that treble for you. Again, another industry thing. Don't even sweat it, man. Right. Don't want to get in treble. Trouble. What? Oh, I think, uh, I think you mispronounced trouble. You nervous? No. Because you seem nervous. I'm not. Huh. Uh, so anyway, uh, I want to know... Are, are we starting? Yeah, if that's okay with you. Well, let me just... Lubricate the old pipes. You know, hot water with lemon is best for those vocal cords. That's a little industry hack. Good to know. Now, can we curse on this show? I'm sorry, I always wanted to say that. Right. Okay, so I am wondering, how do you see yourself? How do I see myself? Yeah. Like... How would you describe yourself? What do you value about yourself? Anything like that. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I think I'm curious, compassionate, a lover of animals and nature. I think I can be a little sarcastic sometimes. Really? Oh, yeah. I have a real reputation at the office. They never know when I'm being serious. I like to dish it out. I wouldn't have guessed that about you. Yeah, I can even get a little ornery. I like to give people a hard time. Maybe it's because I have brothers. I don't know. But I think you can ask any of the guys up at the nature reserve. They'll tell you. So we did. I sent Chaz up to the nature reserve. So I want to ask you a couple of questions about your colleague, Ranger Evan. Okay, yeah. Yeah, totally. Let's do it. That's Ranger Julie and Ranger Dale. They work with Evan at the nature reserve. How would you describe Evan? Um, like in what way? Just how do you see him? Maybe what role does he play around here? What is, like, classic Evan? I mean, he's the nicest guy. Yeah, the nicest person. Pretty much ever, yeah. And I would say he's pretty... He's more than just nice, you know? Nice is reductive. It's simple. He's good. He's compassionate. Very, very compassionate. Sometimes I feel like Evan himself is one of the animals we're protecting, right? Yeah, like they share a soul or something. He's kind of like protecting himself by protecting other living beings. So real simpatico kind of thing. Yeah, he just gets it. He can see the life cycle for what it is. Cool. So I talked to Ranger Evan earlier and I asked him the same question. I wanted to know how he sees himself. 
Uh oh. Did we fail? Are we way off? No, you're all lined up so far. Uh, but I want to ask you Evan said that he is known for being pretty sarcastic. Did he really? Yeah. Wow. I would not describe him that way. You both seem pretty surprised. He's just... He's so sincere, so earnest. But now I'm replaying all that sincerity back in my head, and it's like, is that his version of sarcasm? Good question, Julie. Let's listen to Evan again. Uh, I want to know... Are, are we starting? Yeah, if that's okay with you. Let me just... Lubricate the old pipes. Is Evan the most epic troll of all time? Or is he just a really nice guy? Do you think Evan is like the most epic troll of all time? Or is he so nice that anything that's not polite is coded as cruel to him? That's a really good question. I think, honestly, we've cast Evan into a very specific role. And we want him to be that thing, you know, this very specific version. We want Evan to be our Evan. Here's what we know. Becky was last seen on March 13th. She had just finished her shift at the farm and fleet. It was about 11 o'clock in the evening. She rode her bike to work that day, a purple Schwinn Stingray. Days later, the bike was found inside of Big Green, the big storage barn on the property. We talked to a lot of people who know Becky, who want her to come home safely. We also talked to people who don't know her at all, but echoed these same sentiments because everyone wants a pretty white girl to come home. But what we found out is that there is no one definitive version of Becky. Each person we talked to saw her a little differently. They've each constructed a model of Becky that fits best into their world, the way Julie and Dale did for Evan. But sometimes I feel like these people weren't even talking about the same person. Like Becky is pulling a fast one on all of us. Like she's getting the last laugh. And then there was that voicemail. So... It's not just a question of where Becky went. I also want to know which Becky went missing. Just park right here. I can get closer. No, this is fine. I decided to go out to the farm and fleet. I took Chaz with me. I'll just drop you off then park. Seriously, this is fine. All right, but I can get closer. Here, let me just- Chaz, slow down. But look at how close you are. In case I haven't made it clear, there is nothing around the farm and fleet for miles. No truck stops, no RV museums, no diners, no gas stations. When I drive to the farm and fleet, it takes a while. And yet, the parking lot is always full. People are always here. I don't know where they come from, but people swear by the farm and fleet. I'm one of those people. I've been here dozens, maybe hundreds of times. I like the familiarity of it, the routine. I wonder if Becky felt the same way. You need water or something? Coffee? I'm, I'm good. The host is just being modest. Uh, she'll take a tea. <laughs> okay. You want Lipton, or...? No, really, I don't. She'll take an oolong, uh, and um, an Americano for me, if you have it. Americano? 
lifting it is. This is Pam. She's the manager at the Farm and Fleet. She's in her 60s, no nonsense. She wears a Farm and Fleet polo shirt and sensible shoes, uses phrases like Mickey Mouse to describe something silly. She's been Becky's supervisor for a couple of years now. I hired Becky for the position, I guess, about uh, two or three years ago. I remember there was a storm whipping around outside, wind and rain like you wouldn't believe. It don't rain around here. We get six, maybe seven inches of rain a year. This is dry desert country out here. And I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be a strange day. And then Becky walked in. That's right. Becky came by in the middle of all that. Did you think that was unusual? Absolutely. We're desert folk. We hide when it rains. And she came from around back. She didn't come from the front. She didn't... Um, wait, what, what does that mean? I mean, she came from around back. Back from where Big Green is. You remember Big Green. The giant barn that has All Are Welcome painted on the side. That barn must be, what, a hundred yards away? One hundred twenty-five yards, yes ma'am. I looked out this back window right here, my office window, and it's thundering and lightning and it might have been hailing it was that bad. And that's when I seen this figure coming towards me. I thought it was a ghost or something. But as it got closer, it was this itty bitty thing in a pink dress walking a purple Schwinn next to her. And I ran around front to let her in. No sooner do I unlock that door out front and she's going, is the job still available? Just like that, huh? Just like that. That girl was ready to get to work. And then you gave her the job after this very strange encounter. I did. Why? Because I liked her. Yeah? Oh, yeah. I liked Becky plenty. And I really felt for her. What with everything her family had been through. I, I think she wanted to get away from the ranch. What has her family been through? They lost a child, probably 22 years ago now. Oh, that's awful. Oh, yeah. That was real sad. They've always been sort of a reclusive family, really kept to themselves. But even so, we all heard the stories that came out of the ranch. What kind of stories? Just, uh, well, you know, the parents... They, uh, I think they had a breakdown of sorts. I don't blame them after what happened. How did the child die? Drowned. That's the chicken coop if you want to pick out any eggs. Do you want any eggs? No, just keep up with him. As you can see, it gets real muddy out here. A lot of muck to get through. I make this walk about a dozen times a day. <coughs> God bless you. Excuse me, I don't usually have allergies. The pollen's been real bad out here lately, sticking on everything. Ew, I can see it. And that's Big Green right up over here. Biggest barn in the county. That's Eli, a stock boy at the farm and fleet. He's usually in the back, unloading boxes or taking inventory. 
I see him out front every once in a while, but for the most part, he's behind the scenes. He's the guy who runs back and forth between Big Green and the store itself. I asked him if a golf cart or a gator would make his work easier, but he says he likes the walk. His pants and work boots are eternally caked in mud, but it doesn't seem to bother him. It's part of his uniform. I wanted to know if Eli remembered seeing Becky around the store, what he thought of her, if he remembered seeing her on March 13th. Oh, yeah. I remember Becky. She used to flirt with me. Really? Yeah, we uh, had a tryst, I think that's what they call it. Whoa. Oh, my. I know, I know. She's way out of my league. Was it serious? No, no. Well, it was serious for me, I guess. But she liked to pretend it never happened. So, just to clarify, you had a physical relationship with Becky. Yeah, in the barn. Did you have any contact with her outside of the farm and fleet? Did you go on dates or anything? After it happened, she just kind of ran off. She didn't say goodbye. I wanted to see her again, but every time I saw her at work, she'd ignore me, look right past me, and that hurt. It made me real angry. She just ignored you? Yeah, it was weird. Like, I started to imagine it never happened at all. It was like she didn't know me. But then I started hearing the rumors. Look, I know you think you're telling the story of some innocent girl, but that wasn't her. Becky was running around with everyone, okay? Anywhere she could get it, she did. And these rumors are true? You're sure? Pretty sure, yeah. I don't know how she had the time to be in all those beds at once. Huh. Look, I'm going to say this much. Becky had a lot of enemies. I'm not surprised to hear she's missing. Yep, and that lever does the drawer. Yep, go ahead and pull it. That's Amelia. She's a cashier at the farm and fleet. She's teaching me how to use the cash register. Like this? Just like that. And there's your change. Go ahead and give it to your customer. Here you are, sir. And a thousand thank yous to you, miss. You're going to be taking my job. You're a natural. Amelia worked closely with Becky. They were friends, I think, or at least Amelia describes it that way. I don't mean to speak out of turn or to be presumptuous, but this seems untrue to me. As I've said before, I've been to the farm and fleet hundreds of times. Not once did I ever see Becky and Amelia talk. In fact, I always got the sense that they disliked each other. Amelia is pretty, too, but in an alt-girl way. She has a septum piercing and a beautiful sleeve of flower and skull tattoos down her left arm. Her hair is blue one day, pink the next. You would think that a girl like Becky, squeaky clean, all-American, bubblegum-chewing Becky, would be a real turnoff for someone like Amelia. But Amelia tells a different story. She was my best friend, yeah. I miss her a lot. I feel like no one is looking for her. Have the police talked to you or anything? Yeah, I mean, the authorities are taking care of it or whatever. It just feels like no one really cares that much. Really? Yeah, I feel like the regulars, like you, come into the store and don't even notice she's not here. I haven't heard from her parents. It's just not a big deal to anyone around here. Have you thought about doing what I'm doing, kind of a citizen task force sort of thing? Honestly, no. Why is that? I guess I'm scared to get too involved. I'll put it that way. Uh, what does that mean? I don't want to say too much. But if I get too involved with this, I think maybe my safety would be at risk. And Becky made me promise that if push came to shove, I would protect myself. Okay. Uh, that's... 
Surely you know how vague and cryptic that sounds. I am very aware. That's part of being friends with Becky. It's keeping secrets. Is there anyone else who knows as much as you do, uh, who is also keeping some secrets? Yeah, Jason knows. Who's Jason? Becky's boyfriend. Becky has a boyfriend, Jason. I didn't know this. I guess there was no reason to know this. Remember, Becky and I had good rapport, but we didn't exactly have a relationship. Even so, Becky strikes me as someone who would talk about a boyfriend. She strikes me as someone whose boyfriend would come visit her at work. And Eli had a physical relationship with Becky in Big Green, remember? Did Jason ever find out? Was Eli lying? Do either of these guys know where Becky is? I'm dialing. Okay, put it on speaker. Hold it up to the... Yeah, it's ringing. Of course this guy isn't answering. He knows he's in trouble. He can feel it in the air. Come on, pick up. This is Jason. You know what to do. Oh, shit. We really need to track this guy down. You want to go out to his house? No, I don't want to catch him by surprise. What do we do now? I think we need to talk to Becky's family. Let's head out to the ranch. I want to be transparent about something. I didn't expect to find out about Jason. I don't know what I was looking for when I went to the farm and fleet, but it wasn't Becky's boyfriend. And then there's Eli. What's his deal? Is this just something Becky does? Is she being reckless with their hearts, or is there another side to these stories, too? I didn't know about her family, either, about the child they lost. I think it's strange that this tragedy would happen to them twice— which is why I felt that Becky was still out there somewhere. There's no way this family lost two children years apart. It's unbelievable. It's improbable. But then again, it's not impossible. Wow, look at this. This place is huge! I want to quickly interject. This place is huge. I'm talking about the home that belongs to Becky's family, the one where she grew up. One could assume the size has to do with the family's wealth, but I didn't get that sense. The size of the home is alien. It barely even resembles a house. It's a huge box of a building, almost like something from an industrial parkway. There are grain silos on either end of the house, like bookends, but I'm not sure they ever held any grain. It's brutalist. Lots of metal, hardly any windows. And yet... There is a lovely veranda that spans the whole length of the house, complete with a porch swing and wicker furniture. It's the one thing that lets you know a family lives here. Come on in. Watch your step there. This porch gets slippery. All this pollen settling on everything. Terrible pollen season. Who wants lemonade? That's Grant and Sheila. They're Becky's parents. Hey, get down off of there. (laughs) That's Buck and Pepper. Just give them a kick if they get ornery. Hi, Buck. Hi, Pepper. They like you. Look it. They don't like him, though. Let them smell you. They don't trust you. Sit. Sit. Heel. Becky's parents have decorated the inside of the house with Americana kitsch. A goose statue with a bonnet guarding their front door, painted wood signs that read apples, distressed American flag iconography, even a timeout doll leaning in the corner of the living room. This is not what I expected when I approached the house from the outside. I asked them about that. 
So excuse me for maybe stating the obvious, but your house is very unique. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we hear that a lot. Did you design it or did you buy it as is? The building was here and the silos were here. This was all government property. They had some testing site out here. I don't know what it was. But Sheila and I did the math, and it was cheaper to combine the existing structures than it was to knock them down and start over. And we were looking for something new, kind of wanted a new outlook on things, but still important to us to work with what we had. We had just lost a child, you know, before moving out here. So maybe we were a little out of our minds. Sure. Um, It's just so much house to take care of. Well, Sheila knows what she's doing. It's like we got a whole staff of people in here cleaning up. But it's not just the house or the items that decorate it. There is just so much of everything. Five industrial-grade refrigerators are lined up next to each other on the kitchen wall. Dozens of pairs of shoes are stacked in a wooden hutch in the mudroom. A peek into a closet or pantry will reveal months' worth of canned food, shampoo, detergents, feminine products... And strangest of all, a fleet of purple Schwinn stingrays lined up on the side of the house. I noticed there's a lot of, well, stuff here. Lots of surplus supplies. Oh, yeah. We're always prepared. Is that what it's all for, though, to be prepared? Yeah, you know, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. We like knowing we don't got to depend on anybody else. You know, just in case something happens. Is that why you need all the bikes? Well, you never know. What could happen, do you think? That's just it. Once the worst has happened, you realize lightning can strike whenever it damn well pleases. Matt, honey, we're back here. What's all this? These are the people we told you about from the radio. They're going to help with Becky. Oh. This is Matthew. He's Becky's older brother. He's so much older, in fact, that he was already alive when their baby drowned years ago. He doesn't speak about it directly, but you can tell he wears the death like a jacket. Well, come on in and sit down, will you? You can be on the show, too. I don't want to be on the, the, the show, a, a part of the circus or whatever this is turning into. It's all right. It's not all right. Matt, hey. You're not supposed to. No. Okay, bud. Okay. Now say you're sorry. I'm sorry. Get some lemonade. Cool off. Go on ahead with your show, hon. When's the last time you saw Becky? Hmm. Well, let's see. We all went to Mass on Ash Wednesday together, like we do every year. Chaz, can you... March 6th. Thank you. So that was exactly one week before anyone saw her last. Is that normal, going a whole week without seeing your daughter? Oh yeah, she's Miss Independent. We encourage that. We figure if we let her go off on her own, she can't resent us later. And she'll always come back to us that way. Pardon my saying, but it's both admirable and confusing. You already lost a child. I'd assume you'd be more protective. Look, lady... Matt, hush! It's fair to ask about. She didn't ask. She she accused. I didn't mean anything by it. You get to hide in your studio. 
talking and talking and talking, just a voice in the dark, regurgitating all the words you said to all your other callers, like that makes you some kind of expert. But but you're not an expert. You're you're not anybody at all. You're just you're just hiding while the rest of us have to live with the consequences of your bullshit advice. So you've heard my show? Well, yeah. Hmm. Have you ever called in? I'll take that as a maybe. He has these outbursts, you see. He doesn't mean it. Stop talking for me, Ma. Hush. We wouldn't have to talk for you if you acted right. I think I'm going to get out of here. I feel like I'm just ruining everything, because that's what I always do. Ain't that right, Ma? Now, Matthew, come on. It was a delight, host. A real slice. You're not going to find nothing useful out here. You need to go out to Jason's is what you need to do. We tried calling him, actually. Oh, really? And I suppose you got his voicemail. That's right. You leave Jason alone. He's a nice boy. He's got his demons, but he treats Becky right. <sighs> Bullshit. Matthew Allen, goddammit! Why should I go to Jason's, Matthew? What does he know? She's been living with him out there. She hasn't been here in months. He thinks he knows something about what's going on at this ranch, but I guarantee he does not. He knows where my sister is, though. I can tell you that much. I want to stop for a minute so I can collect my thoughts. Maybe you will also appreciate the reprieve. Matthew really caught me off guard back there. I wanted to talk about Becky with her parents, but instead I was the one being questioned. When Chaz turned the tape recorder off, Matthew calmed down, was able to collect himself. We ended up having a really nice afternoon together, but I promised him I wouldn't recount any of what he said. You have to remember... I've been thinking about the disappearance of Becky since March 13th, 2019. Matthew has been living with the loss of his sister for years. He has every right to feel any way he wants. And that includes calling me out. Maybe I shouldn't be trying to crack this case. Because he's right. I don't have to live with the consequences of my own advice. I get to hide in my studio, existing as just a voice, just the way I planned it. Maybe there is harm in meddling, in wanting to help people. It's possible that not everyone wants my help. I guess I've just spent so many years in isolation, a loneliness that I chose, that feeling so drawn to a person felt good. It felt right. I haven't felt this way for a long time. In fact, it was right around the time I stopped feeling anything for anybody that I entered into this pseudo-monasticism. I've never looked back until now. Talking to Becky's family and friends reminds me that no one is an island. No one is alone. Our actions have consequences and chaos reigns. I guess it just makes me wonder, is anyone looking for me? Looking for Becky has filled that void for me. So I will keep looking. Try again. It's hurting my hand. Just... Move. Hi. Hi, are you Jason? Yeah. Can we talk to you? We're friends of Becky. Oh, okay. And can you get her some ice? Something for pain? Thank you. Jason didn't know we were coming, but he was very cool about letting us in. He couldn't wait to talk about Becky, and there was something else. So you got my message? What message? I left a message on your answering machine at, at the studio. I wanted to talk to you about what was going on up at the farm and fleet. Oh, that message. There's something 
I don't know what to say. I, I just think you ought to get somebody out here. This, this don't look good. I, uh, I got a real bad feeling about this. I'm sorry we didn't return your call. You, you didn't leave a number. That's all right. I just wanted someone to go up to the farm and fleet. I've been sick over Becky. I thought maybe what's going on up there, maybe that had something to do with her disappearing. At the farm and fleet? We were just there this morning. Really? Yeah, it seemed fine. Did, did you look at everything? The, the coop, the fields, the barn? Chaz? I took some pictures. These are all just dogs. These are my dogs. Sorry, I have a life. Oh, here we go. Okay, so here's Big Green. This is the chicken coop. I took a bunch of the field. This is a selfie. Another selfie. But look there behind me, the field. Yeah, do you notice anything different? Anything strange? I have a very dry T-zone. Wait, no, 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 look at this. What is that? Zoom in. Do you see it? That green film on everything. I do. Why didn't we notice that when we were there? We did. God bless you. Excuse me, I don't usually have allergies. The pollen's been real bad out here lately, sticking on everything. Ew, I can see it. I don't think that's pollen. Looks like a resin or something, all over everything. What does that mean? Don't know for sure. For those of you that are listening, I want to describe to you exactly what we saw in the photos that Chaz took. The store, the fields, the coop, big green, all of it. Everything having to do with the farm and fleet looks like it's trapped in a hazy neon sunburst. The lines are all blurry like these stationary objects decided to get up and walk out of the frame just as the photo was being taken. And the green. Green fuzz grows on everything, like illustrators scribbled on the photos with a crayon. It's creepy. I didn't notice it until I took it all in from a different perspective. Uh, What do you mean? I climbed up to the top of Big Green, wanted to take a better look around, and that's when I noticed. Everything was glowing. Huh. And then I felt this, like a sick, uh, a sickness in the pit of my stomach, this overwhelming dread. I knew I needed to look inside that barn. I knew something awful would be inside, but something was pulling me to it. I just had to look, you know? So I climbed down and I went to the main doors, the big ones that slide open, and I I knew I would have to break in because it has that master lock, you know? One of those big, gnarly commercial-grade locks. But when I got to that door, that lock, it was melted. It was all contorted and soft. I touched it, and it burnt me. It was so hot. See? See these blisters? That was from the lock. And all the other metal, the hinges, the tools leaning up on the outside, the the light fixtures, those were melted too. They were smoldering in the moonlight. But it was so cold, host. So cold. And yet, that metal, it was all scorched. There was nothing left of that lock. I see. So I left. I, I got out of there. I felt like if I stuck around, something bad might happen to me, too, you know? I, I love Becky. She's the love of my goddamn life. I would do anything for that girl. And I would have stayed out there all night looking for some sign of her, but it was so eerie. And and you want to know the eeriest thing about it? What's that? I tried to walk away, but I couldn't. I was stuck. Stuck to the ground, like there were little suction cups on the bottom of my shoes. I looked down, and you know what it was? What was it? Bubble gum. (laughs) 
Okay, so yeah, up here, those are the low cactuses with pink flowers, just like he described it. Are we pulling in? Yep. Chaz and I went back to the farm and fleet after we'd talked to Jason. His account was too eerie to ignore. Something strange was happening at the farm and fleet, and I wanted to see it for myself. Can you see anything? I can't tell. We need to get higher. Okay. I need you to get higher. I'm not climbing that thing. Chaz. I'm getting half a credit for this. I'm not climbing that stupid barn. Come on, this story is bigger than you. Fine. What's it like from up there? Um, really weird, actually. What are you seeing? Everything is glowing. Really? Yeah, and I have it all over my hands, the resin stuff. Don't touch yourself. What is it? Just don't. Shit, 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 shit. Ah! What? Look over the edge. What is that? It's chewed bubblegum. What's its spell? All are welcome. Oh, shit. Don't touch your face. Stop touching your face! Can you get to your phone without touching it too much? Uh, yeah. Take a picture of that. Hurry! They move faster than we do. Got it! We gotta go. Now. What's going on? I think I know what happened to Becky. Welcome back to the studio. We're in real time now, no longer in the car or at someone's house or in the field behind the farm and fleet. I'm back where I feel most comfortable in my studio. If I've learned one thing about my brief foray into investigative journalism, it is this. One can never assume that they know exactly what is happening with a case. Because just when you think you've pinned down the truth, another truth emerges. Another version of the same situation. And you are forced to admit you were wrong, that you were only seeing what you wanted to see. When Chaz and I went out to the farm and fleet the other night, it became clear to me that the question of Becky's disappearance was not going to be answered by Matthew or Eli or Jason, not by the men who loved her and loathed her and blamed her for their hardships. No. Becky's disappearance is something else. In all my years of hosting this show, I have yet to personally witness this situation. I've received a few calls here and there, but follow-ups have always revealed they were hoaxes or overreactions. Becky might be a first. Today in the studio, I have a longtime friend here to discuss the disappearance and maybe give some expert insight into how to proceed. With me today, we have Dr. Letitia de Mornay, a member of Majestic 12 and their resident crop circle expert. Welcome, Letitia. Hi, honey. So we talked a little bit earlier, but just to get everyone back on the same page. An area woman named Becky went missing on March 13th, 2019. She was last seen at her place of business, the Farm and Fleet, on Route 262. 
I've spent the last week talking to her family and friends, trying to get a better sense of who she is, all in the hopes of finding out what happened to her. Towards the end of that process, though, we spoke to her boyfriend, Jason, and Jason brought to our attention some pretty strange things that were going on at the farm and fleet, things that Chaz and I did not notice on our first trip out there. But when we returned, we were able to corroborate Jason's findings, and beyond that, it became clear to me that we might be dealing with, uh, with a... This is so crazy to say. You just gotta say it. You gotta make it real. The more open we are about this kind of thing, the less stigma there is. Uh, I found pretty definitive evidence that we are dealing with an alien abduction. That's right. Say it loud. Say it proud. And you know why? Because there are aliens among us. They are teaching our children. They are making our sandwiches. And they are running our country, okay? This is reality. I would love for you to look at some of the photos we took, just to definitively conclude that this is the work of... uh... Aliens! (laughs) Honey, get the frog out of your throat. This stuff happens all the time. Right. Uh, Okay, so so this is a photo we took the first day we were out there when we were interviewing Becky's co-workers. Oh, wow, would you look at all that. Look at all that healthy green stuff. Can you explain exactly what that is? Well... This could be several things, right? This could be the quality of the camera. But we're not dealing with that too much anymore. What with these smartphones everybody has? This could be a pesticide. This could be something that's sprayed on crops or agriculture, something of that nature. But we're in a desert. Don't know why anyone would be trying to grow anything out here. And then there's the resin that often covers an alien spaceship or some other forms of interstellar object. We have recovered a similar-looking resin at other major alien sites. You know, Roswell, Area 51, the Rio Olympic Games, and so forth. We have vials of this stuff in the lab, right? And at a first glance, that is what I believe is being shown in these photos. We'd want to test it, of course, but that is my initial assessment. Okay, And uh, then Jason sent over some photos. These are the master locks on the barn, which, as you can see, are completely melted. Oh, sure. Yeah, this is pretty common. You know, these ships are massive. I don't know if you've ever seen one. No. Well, they're huge. They're the size of a city block, sometimes larger. And inside of that ship, they've developed their own ecosystem, right? They have weather that exists only in the ship. So when that very particular air temperature interacts with what we have here on Earth, you start to see some very unique consequences. You see scorched earth, you see a lot of ash. Lots of wildfires, probably. No, no, honey, that's that's all climate stuff. Don't be naive. But anyway, yeah, you're also going to see a lot of melted metallics, solids becoming a little more fluid, that sort of thing. It's all from the heat of that ship. So when your friend saw those melted locks, my best guess is, yeah, a very extreme temperature change caused them. So you're a crop circle expert. That is correct, since I have been working in the field. How did you get into this line of work? I started as a textile designer, actually. I was a student at the Rhode Island School of Design, and I was working toward a degree in textiles. And I knew I wanted to work in weaving. I was always very comfortable on the loom. That's where we met, right? It was a weaving convention? That's right. I thought so. The one up in Sioux Falls. So anyway, I was 22 years old. I was a weaver. I had an eye for textiles. 
and one day after graduation, a gentleman, whose name I will not say, but a gentleman from the United States government contacted me, and he said I came highly recommended as a weaver, right? And he asked me if I would be interested in working at the Department of Defense. He told me that they were developing new bulletproof technology and that they needed weavers to work with the mylar to literally weave this material into bulletproof vests. So I said, sure, I'm not making any money in Rhode Island. And then once I was in at the DOD, my reputation for textile design kind of got ahead of me. And I was contacted by another gentleman whose name I also cannot tell you. And he invited me to be a part of MJ-12. So I said yes again. He felt that my understanding of design would help immensely with identifying crop circle patterns. So it's been, what, 40 years? Yeah, I've been studying crop circles for a long time. And how do you explain them? It's communication. It's an attempt to make contact without having a common language, which is what design is, right? That's what textiles is. We're just trying to find that common image or icon that will make everybody stop and look. So in the case of the farm and fleet, we have something a little different. Okay. Here's some photos. And um, as you can see, this message is spelled out with used chewing gum. All are welcome. That's right. What does that mean? Those same words are painted on the side of the barn. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's just, that's really spectacular is what it is. What do you make of it? Oh, honey, there's, there's nothing to make of it. Really? Yeah. They're just screwing with you. The, uh, the alien? Of course. They have a wicked sense of humor and there's nothing more frustrating and hilarious than impersonation. They're mocking you. Hmm. I know you wanted me to have a more profound response, but sometimes there isn't one. It is what it is. These aliens, are they capable of abduction? Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely they are capable, yes. I cannot speak to it on the record, but MJ-12 has conducted several studies that resulted in evidence that supports alien abduction. In 2018, over 300,000 women and girls were reported missing in the United States. One in four women have experienced severe physical violence by a romantic partner. Why do you think this case, Becky's disappearance, is an alien abduction? I am most convinced by the melted locks and the green resin. This is textbook stuff for us. We have gallons of this alien goo locked up in a bunker a mile underground. And that chewing gum message. <laughs> Hilarious. I won't name any names, but I know more than one stand-up comedian with alien connections, right? This is a very funny species. But I have the same question for you, honey. Why do you think this is an alien abduction? Why can you not come to terms with Becky just being dead in a ditch somewhere? I don't know. Uh, because I think there are answers out there and I want to help people arrive at those answers. And thinking about your friend with her neck slit open is too much, right? Well, yeah. We see what we want to see, honey. And I'm seeing aliens. Aliens. Why is it so hard for me to just say it? I've heard it all. Vampires, cursed objects, time travel, humanoid mold spores. Whatever the problem, no matter how strange, I always believe my callers. And I've seen things. Oh, you better believe I've seen things. So I know the truth. I know these things exist. 
I know that they creep into our psyches, into our bodies, and take up space. I've seen the consequences, but for some reason, aliens are different. Working in this field, you have to give yourself boundaries. Mental boundaries, I mean. You have to focus on the problem in front of you and not care whether it makes logical sense. My boundary has always been the ground beneath my feet. It's like being an Olympic gymnast, twisting through the air after dismounting the uneven bars. If you can keep your eyes on where you're supposed to land, your feet will hit the ground every time. I keep my head down, I defer to the earth. My feet hit the ground every time. I know it seems silly given all I deal with, but to me, these calls are based in reality. They come from this world. It's a large frame of reference, but it's the only one that makes sense to me. I am protective of what happens on Earth because I have control over it. Or at least I like to pretend I do. Though I've tended to alien matters before, it never sits well with me. It stretches me to my tipping point. I can see too much. I get motion sickness. It's not that I don't believe in aliens. It's that I can't believe in aliens. In order to protect myself, I have to have a hard stop. These days we call this kind of thing self-care. We used to call it self-preservation. Whatever. I just know that I have a cutoff. This has always been one of them. And then there's the other part. I believe my callers. I feel comfortable helping them. But do I believe myself? Do I believe what I saw out of the Farman fleet? The chewing gum message, the melted locks, the green haze. Do I believe that this is honestly what happened to Becky? After all this, this deus ex machina ending, this bizarre otherworldly solution? Maybe I have to. Maybe it's time to start looking up. Hello? Hey, Jason, it's me. Hey, how's it going? Uh, pretty good. We, uh, we got a chance to go out to the farming fleet. Oh, yeah? Uh, what, what are you thinking? Chaz and I were able to take a lot of photos, and we definitely saw a lot of the stuff you were seeing. Yeah? So I'm not crazy? No. <laughs> no, not crazy at all. And I contacted a friend of mine. She's kind of an expert in this area. Okay. And she... Yeah, uh, she agrees with our assessment. She thinks Becky was abducted by aliens. Jason, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, this just a... It's just a, a lot for, for me to take in right now. I, I just miss her so much. I know. <laughs> Thank you, host. Thank you. For what? For closure. I just want to help people. I said that earlier, right? How I got into this business because I could just exist as a voice, doling out advice and assuming I had made a difference. And at the end of the night, I could shut off my microphone and stop broadcasting. Turn it all off, just like that. But sometimes you can't turn it off. Sometimes the problem is pervasive. It seeps in through your pores. It becomes a part of you. It becomes everyone else's problem. 
I am afraid that I have become complicit in spreading more problems than I have in solving any. How do you see yourself? And then you gave her the job after this very strange encounter. I did. Why? Because I liked her. Oh, yeah. I remember Becky. She used to flirt with me. Really? Yeah, we, uh, had a tryst, I think that's what they call it. I am very aware. That's part of being friends with Becky. It's keeping secrets. I don't know where Becky is, but I think we're getting closer. We're getting closer to the girl who worked at the farm in Fleet, who chewed bubblegum and put extra cherry syrup in her cola, the girl who was my friend. But will we ever find the girl who loved Jason? The girl from the strange family, who hurt Eli? Who was Amelia's best friend? The girl who was born to replace a lost child? I don't know where any of those Beckys are, and maybe it's none of my business. Maybe it's none of our business. We are not only voices and bodies and legs and hair, we are whole beings. To truly understand all the pieces is one's greatest secret. Do people disappear or do they just stop showing up? I aim to find out. This episode of The Host was led by Katie Markovich. It was written by Katie Markovich. It was performed by Jesse Abbott Chin, Matt Rowan, Mitch Carver, Amy Carver, Jamie Ferguson, Georgia McKenzie, Garrett Guyot, Vivian Liu, Michael Farrow, Susan Harmon, Greg Hundemer, Katie Markovich, and Sarah Kenny. It was produced and edited by Amy Carver. Music is by Steve Metz, created by Amy Carver. Thanks for listening. Until next time, good night.